It is the 11 Dub Cast. I'm Johnny. He's Chase yet again. And you know what, Andy? He he got back from his uh, his CIA hit that he had to you know put on. I don't know some kind of like high-ranking oligarch in the the Russian uh, you know hierarchy. And now and now he's moved on to uh, cakes. He's making cakes. They may or not you know may or may not be poisoned, and he may or may not be delivering them to you know like terrorists or something. But you know. He's he's living a busy life, and we'll uh, we'll definitely hear back from him here, and whenever he's finished with his top secret mission. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. He's Chase. So we're gonna we're gonna fill in. We're gonna talk about all the happenings. And I, you know what? Here's the deal. There's a lot going on, and we have a lot of very serious things to discuss. I want to discuss disgust with Ohio State's. Men bat Ohio State men basketball's inability to close out games. Um, I wrote about this, and by the time this goes live, you will, I'm sure, all within the voice and within the uh, reach of my voice have have read my wonderful article comparing Thanos to <laughs> Ohio State men's basketball. But I, what's the deal here, man? Like we we're watching this game. Looks like things are going pretty well. Pretty well handled. Double digit lead into the second half. And then they just they blow it. They they they're you know their butt cheeks tighten. They get they get really nervous. They get really scared, and they 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 clench themselves out of a, a victory. What what's going on with this team? Is this it, actually more specifically, Chase? Is this something that is uh, a feature of Thad or Thad Mata? Goodness, is this a feature of Chris Holtman's teams, or is this a feature of the fact that this is um, a young team? inexperience all that kind of stuff in other words is this due to the fact that this is a team that maybe hasn't been in this position or is it due to chris holman mismanaging or just you know not getting his guys ready for that kind of situation it's probably a little bit of both um i know that the, the more common theme these days with fans of ohio state men's basketball would be that chris holman doesn't really know what he's doing and chris holman doesn't put his players in a position to win games yeah, um, which I think is partly true in some instances, like we saw on Saturday, not necessarily having his players ready for what North Carolina threw at them with that full court press. Um, but it, but in some ways, it, it is also a, a situation where you have to put it on the players as well for not being prepared for that full court press that North Carolina puts on. I think maybe one thing that we forget about Saturday's game and about sort of the the crumbling is you 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 did really notice that ice likely wasn't available for Ohio State. Right. Honestly, I think that if he is in that game, you have a veteran point guard, um, or at least when Thornton's on the floor, he'll be the primary ball handler. But you have a guy in ice likely that can take care of the basketball, has the athleticism to break the press with the dribble can rotate the basketball nicely around the press to keep the defenders moving. It just looked like maybe Bruce Thornton caught the ball, had a little bit of deer and headlights moment where he found himself getting stagnant, getting trapped in the corners, their rotations when they were trying to then swing the basketball to the other side of the court. Those passes were two, three feet away from each other, but you're not doing anything to try and make North Carolina defend you. Mm -hmm. um, turned into easy turnovers, or by the time Ohio State finally got the ball past, past half court, North Carolina's scrambling back to get to the paint. Ohio State's scrambling. They're trying to find an open shooter. They get some looks. They can't connect. 
And so it all just starts to crumble on them. And, and I do think that maybe you missed a little bit of that veteran leadership, but you also have to put some of the blame at the feet of Holtman and say, okay, let's, let's regroup. Let's try and get these guys all on the same page. I'm assuming that there was scouting as to what North Carolina would run in a situation like that. So they probably had prepared for it, but obviously not well enough. Yeah. And that's really the thing to me. I mean, I, I think in one sense during the game, right. During the flow of the game, you can't call a timeout every time the other team scores a bucket, right? Like a lot right. of that really is up to the, you know, the guys on the, the court to adjust do what they need to do, take care of the ball, don't do dumb turnovers, all that kind of stuff. And so in the flow of the game, you know, if you blow a big lead, I don't know necessarily that I pin that exactly on the coach. I think it it is part of coaching where your players should be able to adjust and adapt to something like that on the fly. That's still part of what you need to do to prepare your team for a situation like that. What I would pin directly on Holtman is how you handle a set play right with like 1.3 seconds left or whatever it was um you know at the very end of the game which allowed them to tie and then go into overtime not putting a guy on the inbound um you know basically letting dudes run free you know basically through you know the paint like you've got to be able to to plan for that kind of stuff, have something in mind to disrupt those types of plays. And Holtman didn't, he, he you know, in, in that one moment, um, it really looked like North Carolina was just going to shoot their shot. And then if it went in, then it went in and Ohio state wasn't going to have any impact on that either way. Mm-hmm. So that's what was, I think, irritating to me where it just felt like, you know, Ohio state seemed like it was, it was not up to them whether or not, that game was going to overtime. It was, it was purely up to North Carolina, whether they would make a shot. Um, So it it really is a little bit of both, I think. And, you know, not being able to handle a full court press. That's these guys are all in D one basketball. They've been playing basketball their entire lives. They've seen a full court press before, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, I understand that can be jarring in a game where, you know, the flow is different than all of a sudden you see something new, but like, I got to believe that, yeah, you can put equal blame on the coaches and the and the players maybe, but you've got to figure out a way as a coach to adjust to that and, and get your guys in their right mind space where that's not going to be, you know, that big of a deal. I, I do agree with you. Likely not being on the floor does impact that. Thornton was up and down the entire game. I mean, you would have some really great plays and then turn the ball over to, you know, two possessions in a row. Um, that's something that just can't happen. And look, North Carolina is not a great team this year. Okay. Like no. that was a game that you absolutely could have won. And yes, they're going to have a stretch here in the next few where they get some decent chances to, you know, to rack up some wins. But that was something I think going into, um, cause they're going to play the main black bears coming up. That was a game where they could build some momentum going into the kind of the Christmas break a little bit. And uh, I just, it's, it's unfortunate, especially for a younger team that, you know, will be facing a big 10 schedule here soon. You want to generate some momentum and that it's really unfortunate that that just, it, it's not going to happen now because of some boneheaded mistakes towards the, uh, towards the end of the game. To, to say one thing on that inbound play, it's something that I don't agree with from a schematic standpoint, but to try, to try and get inside the mind of Chris Holtman there. It, for, for those that don't know, and I know that nobody knows, um, 
played basketball in high school, coached basketball while I was in college for a few years. So I, I love basketball, the mm -hmm. ins and outs of basketball. I mean, I can eat it up all day. What I think happened to Chris Holtman and the Ohio State coaching staff is what happens with a lot of coaches in different sports these days is getting caught up with the analytics and not just sticking to your gut and not right. sticking to the traditional way that most coaches would, you know, try and have their players perform or set up in those instances. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make sense why there wouldn't be somebody protecting or guarding the inbounder from getting a fairly simple pass over the top of the defense that Pete Nance catches. And there was a tough shot for Nance to hit uh, a fadeaway jumper. Now there wasn't really a contest from Sensabaugh, um, probably because he wasn't trying to foul, but you get a decent look if you're North Carolina in that instance, but from the other side of Ohio state, they're thinking, okay, Baycott's got 20 plus points. Caleb Love's got 20 plus points. RJ Davis has 20 plus points. We don't want either of these three guys getting the basketball. Leaky Black's not going to hit a deep range jumper. And we can live with Pete Nance shooting a fadeaway jumper to send his team to overtime. Sure. And in this specific point is when Pete Nance catches the ball, turns and fades, and drains it. And I bet that in that moment, there is sort of that second guessing from Holtman and his staff to be like, okay, we should have done this. We should have done this. Ultimately, I think that you have to go back and look, okay, we need to put a defender on the inbounder from all points forward. Like this is not something that is going to be successful for us. But, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things Ryan Day always talks about. If if Nance misses the shot, we talk about this game so much differently. You for know, sure, we look yeah. at it and we're like, oh, like that was a tough look. You know, Sensabaugh got a okay contest he wasn't being able to challenge the shot at its highest point but he was able to get a hand in nance's face forcing that fadeaway jumper it's just that he hits it north carolina is the team that rides into overtime with all this momentum and we talk about that play as as really the defining moment of the game because that's what it was um but then also just how that was the culmination of what was eventually a 14 point collapse for ohio state right uh, it just it's frustrating because you you see that play and you see us in, in a traditional basketball sense. You you should think and you would think that there's going to be somebody defending the inbounder. There wasn't. And then the result is negative for Ohio State. So that's just one of the things you can point at. But if you really do, if, if Nance misses that shot, then we will be talking about this game much differently. Yeah. the The thing is to me, though, is that like. I agree with that, obviously. I mean, you know, the difference between a win and a loss. Um, and, and the big thing is, especially when you have a season like college basketball, is that this this one game isn't going to define anything, right? I mean, this is – we're talking about games in, you know, mid-December. Um, there's a lot to, to really happen here. But what's frustrating mm -hmm. is, is that it feels like a trend. And I, sure. it's not really. I mean, I, I, I checked, I went back and I looked. This is only the fourth time in Chris Holtman's tenure that they've blown a double digit lead in the second half, which still, I mean, you don't want to do that any times. But I think maybe with the way that it feels, it's like, oh, they're doing that every other game. Um, but the truth is, they don't, they don't actually lose those games. They may, they may blow a lead, but they're not necessarily losing them all the time. Um, but you just, I, I think sometimes what we do is we translate that attitude that we have about Ohio State football and to basketball and say, look, you should be dominating 
from the tip to the finish, right? Like that's, and if you, if you get into a situation where the other team is clearly on the ropes and you're up by double digits, then you can just put your, you know, you just hammer on that, that gas pedal and you just win by 50. And I know that's not how basketball works. That's not how any level of basketball works. Teams are going to make runs. You know, you might get cold, all that kind of stuff. I understand that. Um, but it also feels like Ohio State, the expectation could be, and I think should be for really good teams is that, okay, well, if you get up by 10 or 12, you may not win by 30, but you also will should be expected to win by 10 or 12. And I, I think, you know, it, it shortens the game. And I think sometimes what happens is, is that that causes coaches to play with that in mind, right? Like, in other words, they start saying like, okay, well, there's X amount of possessions left. We have to do this. And then it causes them to maybe shift their mentality and their focus about what they had been doing up to that point. And, and you see that with Holtman sometimes, like just that, that clenching, that tightening up. And I don't know, I, I would like to see an Ohio State team play a little bit looser, especially when you've got a bunch of young guys. They're not, you know, I mean, they're not going to win a national championship. But maybe if they learn to play within themselves and, and you know, with more flow, I guess, uh, they can be more dangerous in situations where they definitely should win. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just it just felt like a team. It looked like you were watching a team that was playing not to lose rather than a team that was playing to exert, you know, their their influence on the on the flow of the game and win decisively. And that's frustrating. So hopefully, you know, in the next few games, what we see is is something a little more. Uh, you know, like I said, a little more decisive, a little more aggressive. And I, I think, you know, even if they don't win by 100 points every game or if they lose a couple ones that they should win, I'd rather see a team that's like going out there being aggressive than a team that's, um, you know, just nervous about what's going to happen mm-hmm. next. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. This is, <laughs> you know, since we're being so positive on the Dubcast today, <laughs> I want to talk about a long snapper who we have all been waiting for for so many months. No, I'm kidding. Although, congratulations to all long snappers in general. In fact, I actually, quick story. Uh, so, John Froman is uh, coming from Arizona State. That's awesome. Good for him. Also, um, I can't even remember this dude's name. This is so long ago. There was a long snapper from Middletown who went to Ohio State. And after he graduated, I think he was on like the 2002 championship team or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, after he graduated, he was signing autographs at some event. And I remember my grandma got an autograph from this guy, this long snapper, and was like losing her mind about it. Like this, like this is incredible. <laughs> He's the, you know, it's like I can't believe it. And I just, I always thought, first of all what a special moment for a long snapper to have that many people fawning over. And secondly, maybe I've underestimated long snappers. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should just shut my mouth because I don't understand the influence that they can have on a culture. So first of all, awesome that John Froman is going to be here at Ohio state. I like to hear that. Don't love to hear that Ohio state will be losing the uh, number one player um, in uh, the 2024 class and Dylan Rayola. And, you know, it, it's a weird situation, right? Because you've got um, some family legacy things going on at Nebraska, which I think most people would say, all right, that's that makes sense. I guess, you know, if that's where he ends up, then that's where he ends up. But, man, it really, especially after a few 
crappy weeks of Ohio State recruiting, that doesn't feel great to, to mm-hmm. lose the number one player in the class. Yeah, and it, it kind of – now, I didn't notice this, but obviously people more keen in and more more connected to the recruiting world might have noticed this um, about Rayola taking out some of the Ohio State-affiliated stuff in his social media, mm-hmm. changing his bio, you know, taking away photos on his Instagram and such. And, and I think the real telltale sign was when, you know, Ohio State – gets the number two rated recruit in the 2024 class, a wide receiver, no less, mm-hmm. um, as a guy that Rayola will be able to throw to every single down if he wanted to later in his right. career. <laughs> and, right. you know, Rayola says nothing about it. Um, Rayola, who had been pretty much a, a, a great peer recruiter for the program as soon as he had committed, had just sort of peeled off from doing a lot of that. Um, in these more recent weeks and yeah, it just, it's frustrating to, to see that happen and to see Ohio state football continue to sort of be in this very interesting and challenging time when it comes to recruiting. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you can really say how much NIL has to do with it. I don't know how much you can say specifically with Rayola's decision. I mean, um, he has a family member that's at Nebraska that people have been talking about, like, will he be going to Nebraska? Matt rules there now. Will there be another school that's coming into the, into the conversation? There's just so much that really is all at stake here for Ohio state recruiting when it comes to its future and to have not only the number one quarterback, but the number one overall recruit say that he no longer wants to be a part of that program after being so outspoken about how great it was every time he went does sort of put a red flag up as to maybe what's going on in Columbus in regards to its recruiting recently. Right. And you know, that's everything that Ohio state football does right now. And, and this is really a function of the last two years, not, you know, all time though i think there's always this element to it but everything ohio state football does is going to be compared to what michigan's doing right and michigan has been really on fire honestly the past few weeks with regards to recruiting the transfer portal all that kind of stuff and you know you lose a couple in a row to the university of michigan and now it feels like every other potential loss that you have whether it's in recruiting or transferring or whatever feels like it just gets you that further away from being able to win again against that team up north. So that's, I I think there's a big element of that to it as well. And, you know, next year in a lot of ways is going to be a rebuilding year for Ohio state and no, you know, you wouldn't have had Dylan services then anyway, but um, I think that it's important uh, to understand that this is a process and that, you know, as annoying as it is, as, as frustrating as it can be, I don't think that it's the end of this story. And there's a lot that uh, Ryan Day and company, I think, can still do in the next few weeks and months um, and years, I guess. But, you know, in the immediate future to shore up their roster via the transfer portal, get some new recruits, all that kind of stuff. I just I would not be surprised, I guess, is what I'm saying, if in the next, you know, in the in the relatively you know near future that Ohio state does some interesting moves um, that maybe people don't expect. And I think that'll be, that'll be good to see as well. Yeah. Um, 
so you know it's it is it is what it is recruiting is always like insane and frustrating we all want to lose our minds about it uh but it is you know it it's it's always going to be a process and now even more than ever i think that it's it's gonna be a process that's like even more infuriating because of the the snap judgments and the other thing is that i think kids will be waiting for certain things from certain programs and they may commit super early to a place and then just as quickly, you know, decide that they want to go someplace else. I, I would not be surprised if that's becomes the norm because it's really about like a dollar amount. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, some people are really frustrated, upset by that. And I think that's, that's reasonable. It's, it's, but on the other hand, it's like, it's not really your decision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we've been, you know, if you're a professional sports fan, that's what you've been dealing with your entire life. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. One thing I want to say here before we get into the bed jack parlay, um, RIP Mike Leach. Here's here's the thing about Mike Leach. I, I want to say this real quick. One of my favorite pieces of sports writing ever was written by Spencer Hall about 12 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. And this was when Mike Leach was kind of like an exile after he left, uh, was essentially fired from Texas Tech. And he was chilling out in South Florida and Spencer Hall spent basically just a day with him hanging out on his boat and (laughs) walking through people's yards and, you know, just asking him questions about ridiculous things. And here, the thing about Mike Leach that I find really interesting, there are two things, really. The first thing is that this is a guy who was not you know, he wasn't like a big time recruit, didn't go on to have this big, cool, you know, famous college career as a football player. I think he played football in high school and then maybe some rugby. Um, but he, he was, a he was, he's a lawyer. He, he passed the bar. He's, he's got, you know, his Juris doctorate. Uh, and he, he coached a football team in Finland for a year. I mean, this is a guy who had a very clear vision about what he would want to be as a football coach executed that vision as well as you possibly could. And that vision was extremely weird and, and freak people out and changed the game in a lot of ways. Um, so more than, you know, the comments and, and some of which, I mean, honestly, were not always great, but some of the comment, like more than that, more than the jokes, more than the weird commentary, more than the obsession over pirates, more than all of that. This is a guy who had a singular focus and knew who he wanted to be as a coach and came from a, a place in football that I don't know it really exists anymore. This guy was like a true outsider and came into this thing with an idea. And I don't know that the thing about Mike Leach that I will miss the most is that I think he represents something that is so hard to achieve in a sport that is dedicated and predicated on consistency and like, you know, e- like path of least resistance. That was not him. And, you know, the the offense that he ran and the way he approached the game was just wholly unique and i i think i will miss that quite a bit in college football he was he was totally unique and he we will probably not see a guy like him ever again and he'll be missed yeah i think that i was just seeing some of the stuff that people were saying last week about their small short brief interactions with mike leach specifically media people and like how Mike Leach had just helped journalists, reporters, Mm -hmm. like get their career going and like 
help them out with stories and be willing to offer quotes and very entertaining ones at that. Um, if ever they had questions, there's one, and I can't remember what the name of the person was that tweeted about this story, but they were saying that they had texted him asking a question about what the best prank was that Mike Leach had ever seen in his college career as a coach. Um, <laughs> and Leach immediately calls him or calls them on the phone and starts talking for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and in the background, the the person tweeted that they could hear in the background a whistles and yelling. <laughs> and so they interrupted Coach Leach and they said, hey, are, are you at practice right now? And Leach <laughs> goes, yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and exactly. He, he says, give me one second. And he starts, you know, Leach starts yelling and whatever. And then he comes back to the phone and just starts talking for like 15 to 20 more minutes. Oh my God. Um, it's just like, it's it. things like that that are so quirky. It's so, you know, it's unusual and, and it's not anything that you would ever see or anything that you would ever experience with another coach in college football in the NFL, really in, in most sports probably. Yeah. Um, just, he really was college football's most interesting man. And yeah. You know, as you said, there's just not going to be another Mike Leach. Um, and it just, it's so, it's sad to see that he passed so soon and sad to see that he passed so early. Um, but it is comforting to know that he touched so many people while he was alive and, and walking on earth and just seeing the way that he had changed and transformed people's careers, transformed their personalities, and so on and so forth. And, and yeah, just, you can see how many people, even we are an Ohio State podcast, you know, talking about right. Leach and talking about his re his reach and his impact and the way that he just continued to change the way <laughs> a lot of people saw head coaching and like saw the way that you could coach and saw the way you could impact a program. Um, just yeah, such a cool and unique person that um, I'm just glad that I was alive to be able to see some of the moments that he had. Yeah, that was the other thing. I mean, it, I will also say that, like, you know, some of the best moments that Mike Leach had were probably some of the most surprising moments in college football in the past 20 years or so. Like, you know, beating beating number one Texas with Texas Tech. Unbelievable, right? Taking, uh, I think, Washington State to, a, I think it was like 11-2, and two, an 11-2 and two record mm -hmm. with Washington State. Like, it's really hard to overstate how bad Washington State was. And for him to, uh, you know, take them to 11-2 season is, is kind of wild. Um, you know, I also saw another thing from a, a reporter who, uh, this is similar to what you just said, but um, Mike Leach was talking to the guy for, you know, it was like a 40-minute discussion or something like that. And towards the end of the discussion, um, the reporter, here's a, here's a toilet flush. He's like, Mike, were you on the, <laughs> you on the toilet? And Mike was like, yeah, but it was such a good conversation. I didn't want to stop. So, <laughs> which... You know that's that's weird and gross, but you know it's also pretty amazing. By the way, real quick from the um, Spencer Hall profile on Mike Leach all those years ago in 2011, uh, he included a list of Mike Leach favorite play calls. Number five, Y cross, uh, great. Four, number four, receiver screens. Number three, inside zone. Number two, stick routes. Number one, what do you think number one is, Chase? <laughs> I don't, I couldn't even tell you. 
Four verts, baby. Let's Four go. Four verts. <laughs> I was going to say, my for some reason, my gut reaction was Hail Mary. So I guess that's kind of close. I mean, that's basically the same thing. Yeah, and I love that. And you know what? And you know he's not BSing too because that was the guy who probably lived to make a four-vert uh, play call work. And that's and he did consistently. So, like I said, uh, RAP to that dude. All the best to his family and uh, the Mississippi State community. Um, it, it's a huge loss, and, and he'll definitely be missed. Um, so let's go ahead and, and move on to the next part of our uh, podcast here. We're going to do the Bet Jack Parlay. And I will remind you that BetJack is the only sportsbook designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fan. And every week, what we do is we go ahead and take a look at some of the uh, the lines, see what's going on, and and try to give you a little bit of insight. And if you're interested in doing, you know, some some degenerative betting on the side, then then maybe take your advice, or maybe not. It's up to you. But let's get into it. We're going to talk a little about some obscure bowl games. I'm really excited about that. And here's the thing. This is, I've talked many times about my belief that uh, bowl games are not always on the up and up when it comes to, you know, like utility and, and reasoning. <laughs> I think, I think there is a better than zero chance that, you know, maybe, maybe some, some uh, money laundering might be, I don't know, but that's what makes them so much fun to watch. That's what I think makes them interesting. And particularly when you're looking at some of these, like, like super obscure bowls, some of these, that are like, you know, I don't know. Let's start with this one. The Boca Raton Bowl with Liberty <laughs> and Toledo. Toledo's four-point favorites in the Boca Raton Bowl. I'm pulling for them. And you know what? I'm going to say they go ahead and win that one easily. Just just for Ohio's pride. I think they're going to rep Ohio. They're going to cover that. They got they got a four point. They're taking four points. I, I say they they uh I say they get they cover that. Sure. I'm all in on the Mac. Um, all in on Daquan Finn. I don't even know if he's playing, you know, but if Daquan <laughs> Finn's he's legit, you know what? And and I don't either, but but my hat's off to that guy. That and that's one of the other things that I really love about Ohio State sometimes playing these teams is that like you see a guy just lose their mind against Ohio State and they become your instant favorite not Ohio State player for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um that happened, you know. Well, this is this isn't a guy who was a flash in the pan, but that happened um when Ohio State paid, played Buffalo and one Khalil Mack just destroyed Ohio State for three and a half hours. And everybody would say, like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. that's fun. I enjoy that. Got a little um, head start on him before he uh, ended up destroying NFL teams for almost a decade. There you go. Uh, next one here. This is the uh, Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette is playing Houston. Uh, Houston six-point favorite. I I think they get that one pretty comfortably too i would agree um i haven't really been keeping up with much uh houston football as of late that's messed up um, how dare you you know uh, phi slamma jamma is that them you know <laughs> <laughs> no no okay okay I'm, I, I'm not that out of tune uh, but yeah i would still say I, I like houston in that game I, I actually got to watch don't ask why but i actually watched a little bit of louisiana lafayette football this year Okay. From time to time, um, they were never particularly impressive to me. Um, they have a decent offense, um, but I don't necessarily think that their defense would be able to keep up with a team like Houston. Um, gotcha. So I like Houston in that matchup. All right, let's finish this out. Let's do the Gasparilla Bowl. That's in Tampa. By the way, do you know what the Gasparilla? Do you know what a Gasparilla is? No idea. 
Okay. Well, I actually, it's really annoying um, that I know this. And I, well, it's not annoying. I mean, I looked it up specifically because I was like, first of all, is that, is that some kind of flower? Is it, why is this a word that I'm just not familiar with? Well, Tampa has something called the Gasparilla Pirate Festival. Um, <laughs> I'm reading this from Wikipedia. The centerpiece of Gasparilla is the Parade of Pirates, also re referred to as, and then they use italics here, the Gasparilla Parade. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, don't want to get it confused with the other Gasparilla Parade, <laughs> which is held on the last Saturday in January, uh, not when the Gasparilla Bowl takes place, and is organized by, and this is in bold, Ye Mystic Crew of Gasparilla, crew spelled K-R-E-W-E, -E, fantastic. Uh, a local organization modeled after the crews of Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I'm sure they're just as cool. Um, so, yeah, it's a big pirate thing, and it's, I don't know, it's it's a thing, apparently. I don't, you know, sure. I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, more power to them. More power to them. So that's uh, that's Wake Forest in Missouri, and uh, right now it looks like Wake Forest is the favorite in that. The Demon Deacons. Points. Yeah, good and good for them, by the way. I mean, that's you know, I would like to see them take out an SEC team, even if it happens to be in Missouri. And uh, you know what? I think they're going to do it. I'm calling favorites all the way. Yeah, um, Sam Hartman. I don't think plays for Wake Forest anymore, does he? Did he get hurt? Oh gosh. Uh, you know what? I think you're right. I think that is, that is correct. I think earlier, maybe in November, yeah, yeah. He, he got hurt and he I don't down. believe he's planning on returning to Wake Forest after this year, but for the most part, I've liked what I've seen from Wake Forest the last two years. Um, Hartman was a big part of that. So I think that without him, they still probably are searching for a little bit of an identity. Um, compared to last year's team, they were a little bit more well put together. But I still think that this team can make some noise. And outside of maybe Missouri's performance against Georgia, they didn't necessarily do anything that pops off the page. Um, and even then in the Georgia game, they still lost. So it's not like that. Like pretty much their best win, their best resume piece is a loss to Georgia, playing them <laughs> close. Right. Um, so I'll take the team in Wake Forest that has been a little bit more well put together all season. Um, okay. You probably give them a run for their money. Sounds good. All right. So that's the bet Jack parlay, uh, follow it or, you know, follow our advice or don't, but that's, that's at your peril. Um, uh, so that's bet Jack Ohio sports book, the only sports book designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. Let's do ask us anything. And we want to remind you that you can ask us anything, uh, by sending us questions to dubcast at 11 warriors.com. Let's start out with this one from Evan. In his interview with Dan Hope on Real Pod Wednesdays or other sister podcasts here at uh, Eleven Warriors, Gary Stokin, who man, I gotta respect the hustle on on the Peach Bowl press. I'm just gonna say, mm -hmm. like, I've been getting <laughs> like Dan and I, and I'm sure a lot of other people have been getting emails, uh, just basically, you know, insisting that we need to talk to the head of the Peach Bowl. <laughs> and Dan was like, "All right, I got this," and so they were able to do that, which is fantastic. And apparently went great. And uh, Gary Stokin said that um, the Peach Bowl activities will include a bit of history with a trip to Ebenezer Baptist Church, which I think, you know, remember the the uh, the Peach Bowl, of course, is being held um, uh, in uh, in Atlanta. Right. You know, the, the famous the famous Peach Bowl in, in mm -hmm. Atlanta, Georgia. Ebenezer Baptist Church is uh, a big deal. And, you know. What I think 
the thing about it is, first of all, if you don't know about the Ebenezer Baptist Church, that's where Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor for a long time. Um, and it's still like a really important location for things like, you know, modern civil rights and other things like that in the Atlanta area. It's, it's a big deal. So they're going to Ebenezer, Ebenezer Baptist Church. Fantastic. So Evan's question is, if Columbus were to host a bowl game, what historical sites would you include as part of the visit? Hmm. Yeah, I've lived in Columbus my whole life. Really? And when I think of Columbus, I don't immediately think of historical landmarks. Um, <laughs> it is, you know what, and the thing about Columbus is, is that it really is kind of a post-World War II city, right? So a lot of the stuff that even was, you know, maybe historical, a lot of it was like torn down or renovated. Yeah. Of, you know, especially like with the uh, the old train station, right, which you can still see remnants of downtown in the uh the arena district but um yeah a lot of it's a lot of it's gone it's hard to find some of that stuff yeah there's not necessarily like a historical landmark that i would point out i mean nothing close really in my mind to the ebenezer baptist church right um but there are some areas around columbus that i think have attractional value um I mean, what comes to mind first for me would be like german village um okay. the italian village like places that have been a part of columbus for i mean the better part of a century really that haven't really changed that much um and i'd also probably say going more if you want to go more modern you know we have two professional sports teams in columbus that though one team the crew has been more successful recently um, the Blue Jackets is probably the more fond over team in Columbus. So you have a have the ability to tour nationwide arena if you want. Lower.com Fields, brand new, looks like the Death Star. Um, so you have some of those attractions as well if you wanted to have people tour those sorts of areas. Okay. You know, so here's the thing. There are a lot of, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the historical landmarks and checking those out and and seeing, you know, what small pieces of history kind of exist within the city of Columbus. And, you know, the thing is that there are, I think there's a number of them. There's, there's camp chase, for example, right. The old Confederate, um, you know, prison slash cemetery. I don't know that that's necessarily something you want to visit <laughs> on a bowl trip unless it's like to laugh at dead Confederate soldiers. Um, but one thing, one item of note that I think a lot of people may not be aware of. So William Tecumseh Sherman, obviously famous civil war general from Ohio. And this is something that he said multiple times throughout his life. It wasn't, uh, wasn't just a one-off thing but one of his quotes that he's most known for is saying that war is hell and that was part of a speech that he was giving um and gave in, in really kind of multiple places but one of the times that he said it actually was on the grounds of franklin park conservatory and mm -hmm. so there is actually a like a, a placard or whatever kind of sign indicating that that's where he gave his speech where he is known for that particular phrase um so i think that's pretty cool yeah there's also um, there's also a lot of, uh, you know, American Indian, uh, mounds, both within the city and nearby. In fact, I think recently, um, there was, uh, some preservation societies actually given the, 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 um, go ahead to kind of preserve one that had been on, I think like country club grounds or something like that. So I encourage the preservation of sites like those. I think that's fantastic. I think that would be something to maybe promote a little bit, but I'm with you. Maybe the Ohio theater, right. Is, is a beautiful, you know, 
a beautiful place to uh, to kind of take in some architecture and things like that. Mm-hmm. The Ohio State House obviously has some really incredible architecture. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting just because Columbus is such a new city, uh, relatively new, I guess that it yeah. may not have the same kind of juice that some of these other places do. But I think I think there's still some pretty cool things. Um, all right, so this one's from Kevin, who says, "Guys, which Ohio State football players will be in contention for major postseason awards next season?" Uh, that's actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, in my attempts to fill the skull session with as much good content as I can, uh-huh. it takes me to the deepest corners of the interweb that I can possibly <laughs> find. Um, as I know, Johnny, as he wrote school sessions back in the day you probably can attest to oh god um yeah there's plenty of lists right now and dan hope and i had a good laugh the other day about the phrase way too early Um, (laughs) he he has a pet peeve about the phrase way too early Uh um which i my thought on that is that you know news organizations will just use that phrase so that they can get out of being exposed on freezing cold takes or any other you know kind of social media site that might do something like that to expose people for making horrible claims. Mm-hmm. So you use way too early to be like, yeah, Kyle McCord could be like a Heisman trophy finalist. Cause he's an Ohio state quarterback, but then you don't even know if Kyle McCord's going to start next year. Like <laughs> That's there, right. there's going to be a competition between three guys. That's right. Um, but at, right now, I mean, a bulletproof, like lock it in. You might as well go on. If you live in Ohio, January 1st, place your bet for Marvin Harrison, Jr. Bolitnikoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say you, you get some defensive guys, depending on who returns and who doesn't. Um, I would say that, you know, if like Tommy Eichenberg's back, you got to have him in, in line for the butt kiss and the Bronco Nagurski. Um, you have a guy like Lathan Ransom, who was up for the Jim Thorpe semifinalists this year. He could be a guy that may come back and return with that sort of potential. Um, I mean, Travion Henderson was a preseason All-American this year. Um, He just, you know, obviously had his season derailed and just kind of taken away from him with injuries. Could he come back and make some noise? Um, Those are the players I'm looking at. I still think that the guys really that you'd be throwing up for some of those awards are guys that, some of them at least, are still up in the air as to whether or not they'll be on the team next year. Right. The only one I can give for certain is, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., Bolitnikoff. I think that that's kind of expected, at least in my mind, would be that he gets that next year should he stay healthy the whole year. What? So let me ask it. So I agree with that, obviously. I mean, that's, I think that's probably the, the most obvious one. But uh, what about uh, Tui Maloa? What do you think, you know, maybe based on what we've kind of seen a little bit and flashes yeah. that, that maybe next year is the year that he puts it all together and you're like, oh crap, this is the next big dude on the defensive line? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a good player to point out. For really most of the year, his statistics actually by the end of this season kind of popped out to me because they were sort of quiet outside right. of that Penn State game. Um, his statistical accumulation sort of came in a very quiet manner, and the the conversation and the the long I guess discussion about JT Tuimaloa's season was that he was just being held all the time. Mm. <laughs> and that was really keeping him from getting the statistics I mean, that maybe he needed. Sure, but everyone's getting held on everything. Exactly. Like, and that's my that's going to be my point for next season. You can't make that excuse. No. Uh, like, and then you're going to get doubled now, right? Like, not only exactly. are you going to get held, but now you're going to get held by two guys at the same time. At some point, 
you know, whether or not they're holding you or whether or not they're double teaming you, you are a player that's expected to make an impact. Um, because while I'm not going to hurl these expectations on him, because I think that it's wildly unfair with Joey Bosa, with Nick Bosa, with Chase Young, the guys that are, are immortalized as like the most recent, you know, epitome of what a defensive end can be at Ohio State. Those guys got held. Those guys Yo, got yeah, double teamed. And, you know, they still found a way to make plays. Right. And if JT Tuimolo wants to be in the discussion of those players, you can't come back in your third year as a defensive end. Really, in three years, you know, last year he played quite a bit as a freshman. This year he played every game, a large amount of snaps in every game. In your third season, you, you can't come back with the – you know, you can't have coaches saying that he's getting held. He can't be saying that he's getting held. Like you got to right. find a way to overcome it. One hundred percent. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, next one here. This is from Corey, who says, "Not the biggest soccer fan here, but when the World Cup rolls around, the U.S. and there invariably gets bounced early. I think about what <laughs> I think about what Team USA would look like if soccer was the biggest sport in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to." make a side from Ohio State's football team who you got in what positions <laughs> okay first of all if you've seen the dudes on most of these soccer teams they're like five foot six and 150 pounds mm-hmm. so you went. so I no one I don't I don't know I mean I I know soccer fans hate this because it kind of demeans the sport a little bit that it's like a one-to-one transition mm. or translation between like a really good athlete in one sport and a really good, like one thing, if you really want to set off a, like a soccer fan say like, Oh, I bet LeBron would be a great forward. Like no <laughs> one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. And I yeah. understand that. And look, Corey, I'm not trying to crap on your question. My point is that these are very different sports with very different skill sets. And yes, there are some players who I think, you know, like a guy, like, chad ochocinco right like he he was a huge fan is a huge fan of soccer um you know tried out for a team didn't make it but i think if he had you know for instance stuck with that sport his entire life he probably wouldn't be a very good soccer player but i think the point is, is that soccer itself is a very like any sport especially at a high level incredibly specialized mm-hmm. and again a lot of these dudes i mean messi is one of the greatest maybe the greatest player to ever do it and he's five foot six 130 pounds soaking wet like that's and that's just the way the sport mm-hmm. is if you're running 10 miles a game um it requires just a different body type skill set all that kind of stuff um by the way real quick i'm gonna get to the second part of his question here about the world cup in a second did you, i assume you watched the final right it was bonkers holy crap i look i played soccer from the time i was four years old to the time i graduated high school I've watched an inordinate amount of soccer. I am a huge fan of the World Cup every time it rolls around. I can't think of a game with more intensity and drama and that last and that second half and that last overtime than the PKs. Like I've seen some, you know, there have been World Cup, you know, games, World Cup finals and in PKs. Not like this. Yeah. Not like this. Not when Messi's legacy is on the line. Not when you've got, you know, probably the best player in the world and Mbappe. Like that guy getting a freaking hat trick in basically the span of like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I I mean, that game had everything. And if you are a soccer hater, 
woe be unto you my friend because you need to watch these games you need to watch a game like that and understand that this is like it truly is the beautiful game that was wild that was an incredible sporting event and i think we're all really privileged that we got to watch it yeah i think that i mean i i did not play soccer at any point in my life not even when i was you know three years old and i could just Mm. run around while my parents were watching on the sideline (laughs) Um, but I, I started to really enjoy watching soccer probably about the time when I was in middle school. Um, you know, had actually just started playing the FIFA video game, found a team that I liked, there you Bayern, Bayern Munich in Germany. They win plenty of titles, so that always kept me interested and kept me engaged. Um, yeah, and every time the World Cup rolls around, it's something that I make sure to tune into because there's just nothing like it, really. And, and I love football. I love basketball. I love baseball. Those are probably my three primary sports. I'll watch hockey from time to time. Um, but really, when the World Cup comes around, it's appointment viewing because, you know, th- there's just nothing quite like seeing guys and, and girls. When, when the Women's World Cup comes around, too, there's some incredibly also talented. great entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, incredibly talented great. athletes. Yes. Um, it's just the matter of them representing their country on the world's biggest stage, you know, and you know that mm-hmm. everybody is watching that the weight of a country is behind them. Um, you, you just, it, it all comes down to PKs and in the moment to just to know that not only are there thousands of screaming fans in the stadium, that there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people watching back in their home countries. Billions that across can the be, world. Yeah. Right? And, like, yeah. And that, that too, like, we're, we're Americans where our team, our nation was bounced in the round of 16 and, you know, four rounds later, we're still sitting on our couches at 10 a.m. on a Sunday That's right. That's to right. watch these two countries, which we have no rooted interest in. And, <laughs> and just my heart's racing. My, my hands are getting clammy. They're sweaty. They're, I mean, I'm just like, I'm watching Mbappe go from you know they're down 2-0 France is down 2-0 and then right the best player in the world turns it on scores two goals and eventually gets a penalty to to knock it up at threes he has a hat trick they go to penalties everything's on the line I mean just so much was happening back and forth for yeah. 120 minutes of action because of the extra time and then the penalties it was just loaded and the level of play too that's the other thing that I think just blows my mind is like you know as someone who was a a bad to mediocre player <laughs> for a long time, I know how difficult some of that stuff that they do is. And some of the goals that they were scoring, I mean, you can't, it, it is impossible to overstate how insanely, unbelievably difficult a lot of what they were doing was. Like this is this is really like the equivalent of watching a Rembrandt painting being painted live in front of you. Like you don't mm-hmm. like you really. It, I, and I think part of it is you have to play the sport a little bit. But if you're a fan of the sport, if you've watched a lot of the sport, I think you can appreciate just how unbelievably, insanely difficult that one that Mbappe had, where it was like it it was just that ricochet essentially shot that he had, where he had to perfectly line up mm-hmm. his shot as he was falling away from the ball. He could he didn't allow the ball to hit the ground. He got it as it was falling to the earth mm-hmm. in midair, mere inches from the ground to just get a perfect alignment. Um, that's it's just it's brilliant. Everything about it was brilliant. And I hope everybody listening to this watched it because it was sick. And if you haven't watched it, get a replay, find it because I think it will um 
it, you know, if you're not a, a soccer fan, I think it will definitely help that out on in that case. Real quick with Corey. So he says, um, you know, what is the college football equivalent? What is Ohio State's college football equivalent to Team USA? Uh, or in other words, let's do it this way. Not Ohio State. If Team USA was a college football team, sorry, I got that question mm -hmm. backwards. What would Team USA be? So in other words, if Brazil or France or Alabama, right? Yeah. Is Team USA Rutgers <laughs> or somewhere <laughs> in the middle like Purdue. By the way, no small feat getting into the knockout round. Uh, yeah. Ohio, or Team USA, not nearly as talented as the top teams on, on, on the planet. And I don't think anybody would dispute that. But getting out of the knockout round, playing England to a standstill like they did, and that was probably their best performance in years. That was unbelievable how they played against England. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it was a tie. Yeah, but you got to understand, they're playing against some of the, like, like England's, first of all, England's uh, forwards are unbelievable, world-class. Uh, Team USA shut them down. I mean, just Tyler Adams annihilated these guys. Um, that was a really, really great performance. And yes, mm -hmm. they they lost the Netherlands, and, and maybe they could have had some momentum if Pulisic, Pulisic uh, converts early in the game. Uh, but they played really well, and they're not Rutgers. Um, yeah. I would say if I'm giving them a college football equivalent, man. I don't want to be too generous. I don't want to be too nice because they're not winning a World Cup. Yeah. Well, put it this way. I mean, <laughs> there's over 100 teams that can qualify for the World Cup. That's right. Uh, I think it's over 200 maybe. 210, 211 I think is the actual number. Mm -hmm. So they're one of – the United States is one of the 32 teams that make the World Cup. And right. then they were one of the 16 teams that made the knockout stage. Yeah, and um, I think FIFA typically ranks them around like 14 to six, you know, like around that, you know, general placement. Um, I don't know, man. I, you know, they, are they amazing? No, but are they like a nine or eight win team in college football? Yeah, I think so. So are they like South Carolina or Oregon State? You know what I mean? Like they're, they're in with the big guys. Are they going to win a national championship? No. Are they going to win a conference? Probably not. Uh, but yeah, I would say they're like an, a consistent eight to nine win team, um, that punches above their weight occasionally. And, you know, maybe hopefully in the next few years, especially with an incredibly young team, that's the other thing I think people kind of forget about this, this USA team, this men's national team, youngest team in the tournament. And yeah. they have some really good players who are just going to get better. So that next world cup is a joint, uh, joint mission between uh, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, that will be a big one. And I think they'll have the wind at their backs uh, in a few years here when that rolls around. So, yeah, is, I would I would say it, like South Carolina-ish. Could it be Utah? Utah would be an interesting choice. I think Utah... Second, maybe a little bit too much credit. I think Utah, Utah has I think been hanging around with the big boys. Yeah, they don't have a Whittingham. Like again, I don't think Greg Greg Burl, <laughs> Greg, I don't think Greg Berhalter, <laughs> uh deserves all the hate that he gets, but he's sure. not a Kyle Whittingham. Yeah. Um, I think that might be giving him a little too much credit. How about but Iowa then? Iowa, <laughs> they're they're not that miserable to follow. Um, however, in an Iowa good year, I can kind of see that. I actually can see that. You know what? I take that back because Iowa about once every five years scares the hell out of a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think Team USA kind of, you know, the U.S. men's national team um, has that same capability. So that might be a good comparison as well. I kind of like that one. That one's good. Purdue, honestly, as Corey suggests, Purdue actually might be a pretty good comparison as well. Yeah, um, I like that one. I, w- I would like to see, you know, like an Ohio State, or excuse me, gosh, I keep falling Ohio State. I'd love to see the U.S. men's national team beat like the likes of Brazil and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, and a really essential match. Just shock um, the world. That would be fantastic. So if they can get some of that Purdue energy, that would be fun. Last one here. This is from our good friend Alvin. Um, what's your favorite TV theme song? He, by the way, is partial to the song from The White Lotus. Okay. Um, my wife and I have been watching Ted Lasso recently. Okay, there you go. Good um, I actually really like the theme song to that. What do the I uh, honestly? I, so I've seen clips of Ted Lasso. I've not mm-hmm. actually watched the show. What What's the song that they use for that? Um, it's from. Mumford and Sons. I think oh, okay. that it might actually just be from the lead singer of Mumford and Sons. I see. Um, very brief. Um, yeah, I just I I like it. I like that it kind of it kind of just gets you into the show. The the lyrics of it have something to do of that you know that Ted Lasso is going to try, um, and that Ted Lasso is going to give it his all to you know develop, you know whatever is his mission with. AFC Richmond, the squad that he coaches in the Premier right. League in England. It's a great show. Um, I love that song. I also am partial to How I Met Your Mother's theme song. Oh, yeah. Very catchy, go. very quippy. You know, it's very quick. Um, yeah. So that, that's another one that I really enjoy as well. I'm going to say the, uh, the X Files theme song because, first of all, it's just, it gets you in the mood for some X Files. And also, when I was a kid, because that, that show aired when I was like, you know, around eight to, I think maybe eight to 12, eight to 13 years old scared the absolute hell out of me. Every time, every time that stupid theme song came on and the, the imagery that they have with like the distorted faces and I don't know, for whatever reason they show like a seed, you know, sprouting. That's like freak. I don't know. The whole thing's creepy and weird and it sets the tone for the show. And uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And, and as an adult, I think it's great. So I'm going to go with the X-Files theme song because I think it it did an incredible job at uh, establishing um, what you were about to watch. So I like that one a lot. Um, finally here, so first of all, thanks for uh, sending us questions for Ask Us Anything. Those were fantastic, and we'll keep answering them. Last thing we want to do here before we get out of here, um, news tonight as we record, a little bit before we started recording, that Ohio State offensive tackle Avery Henry was diagnosed with bone cancer, which is terrible and awful. But I'm going to read this um, tweet from the dude. This isn't the way I wanted to release this, but I know no other way. A couple days ago, I was diagnosed with uh, uh, osteosarcoma, excuse me, osteosarcoma, a form of bone cancer. I will fight this. I've never been a statistic, and I never will. I want to thank my brothers and coaches for the endless support. And the outpouring of support from fans, from his teammates, from everybody else, this dude is going to have like, people are going to have his back and you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. It really sucks, but this is a guy who like, he lost a ton of weight to, you know, to, to play for Ohio state. Um, he's been through a lot already. He's a fighter. And, and if there's anybody who's, who's got the mentality and got the support and to make it through this, I think it's that dude. And, um, you know, here at 11 warriors and everybody else, all the fans, I know that, you know, we've got him in our thoughts and are wishing all the best for him and his family. Um, and, and hope that everything goes well for that guy going forward. Yeah. And I, it's just never something that you want to see. Um, it, 
Yeah. It's an Ohio State athlete, so we're talking about it. And but I also just know too, like there are so many people that are impacted by cancer every day. And it's yeah. just yeah. The news for today for Avery Henry, you you, just, you read it or you see it or you hear it and immediately your heart just sinks because yeah. you know the weight of it. And I love the way you put it is perfect. He, he's going to fight. Um, yep. If there's anything that you can take away from it in the circumstances is that you can know that Avery Henry is going to give it everything that he has. And um, I think also too, like I, whenever I think about the way that cancer impacts people, my mind immediately goes to the Jimmy V speech of don't give up, don't ever give up. Mm -hmm. I also just think of Stuart Scott's speech. Um, He was an ESPN analyst that passed away from cancer and and he was saying how many days where he just didn't feel strong enough to battle cancer. So his wife took it and his daughters took it and his friends took it. And I know that Avery Henry has family, friends, coaches, and teammates and a Buckeye nation, you know, behind him that are going to be there for him when things are tough and when he doesn't feel strong enough to battle through, um, they're going to be there for him and they're going to pick him up. And that's, what's encouraging to me too, about all of this is you can see the outpour and the outreach of just how many people have made known to him that they're going to be for there for him. They're going to be, you know, thinking about and praying about all these things. And, and that's just so, so encouraging. Um, so I hope that he knows that. I hope that he knows that there's so many people behind him. Obviously, just not the news that you want to hear, but you just know that he's going to fight. And you know that there's going to be a whole lot of people behind him encouraging him as he does. Yeah, and that's the best thing about, you know, when we talk about like Buckeye Nation, all that kind of stuff. That That's that's the real, I think, um, expression of how awesome something like that can be. That That's something to take pride in. And um, like I said, and like you said, you know, we know that this guy, Avery Henry is going to you know fight like hell and, you know, we're wishing him all the best and, you know, anything. That's the thing though. Like one of the things that I really am always heartened by, one of the things that I always enjoy seeing in a, in a really sad situation like this is how much people will lift each other up. And, um, you know, I think that as difficult as something like this is, I think it's a lot uh, easier to handle or not easy necessarily, but it it, it can make things, um, it can make things less grim, less, you know, scary when you know you've got the support of like literally hundreds of thousands or millions Mm. of people, because that's, and that's the way, that's, that's the way this kind of thing functions, right? That's the way fandom functions. That's the way like the Ohio State community functions. And I'm really proud of that. Um, and so all the best to him and, you know, good luck. And, and hopefully, you know, all of this has a really great ending. So um, that's the Dubcast for this week. We uh, we will continue, you know, <laughs> basically biding our time until the Peach Bowl. I mean, I think that's really what we're just like, oh, my God, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um we got a we got a few more days. We got a few more four few more sleeps until that really uh, you know comes to fruition. Uh, but we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep leading up to it. And uh, until then, I'm Johnny, and I'm Chase, and we'll see you next week.